So uh, I'm Jason. I haven't been in the pulpit in like, I don't know, five weeks or so. I've had a lot of coffee, and I'm just, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm going to preach today. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 17, and we are just going to get right in it. We're in a series called Devoted. Our topic today will be very clear with you as I read some excerpts of Jesus and what has famously, famously become known, John 17, as Jesus' high priestly prayer. This prayer, John 17, happens right after the Last Supper. So John 13 to John 16 is Jesus in the Last Supper with his disciples. John 17, the high priestly prayer. John 18, the very next thing that happens after this prayer is Jesus goes with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane the cross, the resurrection. So that's where we, we are. And I think it is significant to highlight something very specific that Jesus prays for in his prayer before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm gonna read one verse in John 17, 11, and then a few verses at the end of the prayer. John 17, 11 from Jesus. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. He's praying to the Father. They, the disciples, they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Everything is unfolding. The mission is unfolding. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Oneness. Then verses 20 to 23, my prayer is not for them alone. I'm going to pray for the disciples that they are one as we are one, Father. That's the prayer. But he's not only praying for the disciples, he's also praying for their witness and what their oneness will do in the gospel mission. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, there it is again, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, there it is again, as we are one, oneness. I am in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. A, a simple but profound question with, I believe, profound implications for us. Is Christian unity important to our Lord? is how we come together as brothers and sisters in the family, how we speak with one another, how we treat, with, how we treat one another, how we work through issues together. Is unity important to Jesus? It's literally what he's praying for before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. When Christians are united in Christ, verse 23, the world sees two things very clearly. He's praying for unity 
amongst the believers, the followers, the Jesus people, so that their unity together will communicate two things to the world. The, one, the first one is that so that the world will see that the Father sent me. Our unity communicates that Jesus is the Lord. And secondly, in verse 23, to let the world know that you love them even as you have loved me. Unity in the body of Christ communicates to non-believers that Jesus is Lord and that God loves them. What does disunity communicate? Is unity important? Yes, it is so essentially important. Uh, Our topic, obviously, is unity. Today, we're in a series this summer called Devoted. We are centering uh, kind of our minds, our hearts, the journey this summer in one paragraph in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Ten weeks on ten things that the, the first century New Covenant of Grace church was devoting themselves to. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by grace, and they were devoted in these things that the Holy Spirit and the grace and the love and the power of God was helping them devote themselves to. So we're looking at all these things that the New Covenant Church was devoted to. Context, Jesus has died. He has resurrected. He has ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1. He has given his Holy Spirit to his church, Acts chapter 2, and now the church is a witness to the way of Jesus, and they are devoted. So that's the series, and we're in um, unity today. Here's Here's the verse of the morning, verse of the day. Here's the focus of our time. And all who believed, all the people who believed the message of Jesus, the gospel, that Jesus is Messiah, he is Lord, he is sent by the Father, he is is the payment, he is the restoration, he's the redemption, he's the forgiveness, he's the healing, he's the shalom, he is the way to the Father. All who believed in the message of Jesus, they were together. They were together, and they had all things in common. They weren't apart. They weren't divided. They were united. They were together. They had all things in common. In other words, they were sharing with one another. Uh, I'm going to speak on the unity piece today, and Greg Hook is going to speak on the generosity piece next Sunday. That's where we're going to be. So with this verse, a couple of questions that we're going to start with, we look at all the people that believed were together. Question one uh, in this, um, do you think all who believed, do you think they were all the same? Did they look the same? Were they from the same place? I gave you the answer. The answer is no. Should have left that blank on the slide. That's my fault there. But just to give you the perspective, we're not talking about people with the same background. We are not talking about people with the same socioeconomic status. We are not talking about people that has the exact same ethnicity. We are talking about a diversity of people that were believing and that were together and that were holding everything in common. So to remind you of what was happening 
In Acts 2, 44, I want you to, if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 with me for a moment. I'm going to remind you of a, a passage that we read at the beginning of this series. So Acts chapter 2, verse 8 and following, then how is it that each of us hears them, the disciples, the people of God, in his own language? How is it that all of us who are from all these places that speak all these languages are hearing people speak in our language proclaiming the gospel when they didn't know the language before? And it was a total supernatural. It was, a, it was, a, it was Pentecost. It was, it was the infilling of God's spirit and God's supernatural Holy Spirit was giving people that didn't know native language the ability to speak a native language so that the people here could hear the gospel. And here's all the people that were there in Jerusalem, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Do you think they were all the same? No. They were certainly not all the same. Right after this, Peter gets up and gives this famous speech, this sermon in Acts chapter 2. And in that sermon, he quotes the prophet Joel, and he says this later in Acts chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Certainly, they were not all the same. Unity does not mean sameness. Unity together does not mean sameness. In fact, unity, the, the idea of unity necessarily means that we have a unity in our diversity. So we are finding unity in Jesus, centering unity in Jesus, even though there are different realities about all of us. And that's why unity must be protected and fought for. Unity is found in diversity. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Like the gospel's not, it, it's not opposed to effort. The gospel is opposed to earning, but it's certainly not opposed to effort. And so Paul's like, as believers, as followers, you just make every effort by the spirit of unity that's in you and the bond of peace together. Because you're different, you're going to have to work at this. You're going to have to work at this together. Second question. Do you think that they agreed on every matter all the time? All these people from all these places? I mean, not even Paul and Peter agreed on everything all the time. Like in Galatians chapter 2, there was this whole issue. Uh, Peter came up from Jerusalem to see the church in Galatia. And when he was first there, he was like, oh, yeah, like God's spirit is poured out on all people. And he was like breaking bread with Gentiles. And then some Jewish believers from Jerusalem came up, from, came up to, from Jerusalem with James, and then Peter started pulling back away from the Gentiles. 
And Paul's very clear in Galatians 2, like, I rebuked him. I rebuked him right in, right in front of everybody, and I called out his hypocrisy. And then he said, even Barnabas was getting caught up in this disunity that was happening. They did not agree on every matter all the time. They had to work at it. Roommates, roommates in the room, roommates in the room, show of hands, who agrees on every matter all the time? Uh, married couples in the room. Show of hands, who agrees on every matter all the time? My friend Jimmy, there was one in the first service too, Shane. I don't believe you. I know you did it, Amelia. I didn't. Uh, you need to text me for a counseling session this week, okay? My friend Jimmy was back there. He raised his hand. I was like, ah, Ivelisse isn't here. Oh, Jimmy raised his hand in the first service, Ivelisse, and I called him out for you. Y'all don't agree on every matter all the time. Most things, but not everything. Yeah, yeah. So when I'm leading a, Shane, 970-449-3288. When I'm leading a couple through premarital counseling, we spend a lot of time talking about communication and conflict resolution. And the reason why we talk about that is this, and I tell these couples, the question isn't if you're going to have a conflict and disagreement in your marriage. That's not the question. You will. You will. The question is, can you maintain healthy, safe, honorable connection in the conflict and in the disagreement? That's really the question. And so what I tell couples is this, the goal, the goal of communication and conflict resolution is an agreement on everything. You're not going to agree on everything. That is so unrealistic. The goal is connection. The goal is listening. The goal is honor. The goal is respect. The goal is togetherness. And you are a team working on an issue. You are not on different teams battling it out with one another. So we have this example of uh, Peter and Paul having this issue in the church in Galatia, in in Galatians chapter 2. Another example uh, is in Acts 15. Paul has another issue, and this time he has an issue with Barnabas. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 15. They had, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas had been on their first missionary journey, and they were, they had all this success, and they were, they were persecuted together, and they were advancing the gospel together, and and they were taking risks together for the kingdom of God. And they were seeing all these things happen. And, and they were being persecuted together and all these things. And, and so uh, Paul is back in Jerusalem. And he's given an account of, of all the testimonies and stories of what God did. It's like what we did last Sunday or the Sunday before when our Jamaica team came back. And we gave testimony of what, what, what happened when our team went to Jamaica and served alongside our brothers and sisters in Catadupa. Like that's happening in the church And then at the end of Acts 15, it's time to go on the next journey, and they want to go back and strengthen the churches that they had started and listen to what happens. Do you 
They're, they're not agreeing on every matter all the time because they're people. And guess what? People are people, right? So here's what happens. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they were doing. Let's go check in on all these churches and these new believers. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called John Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. What do we learn from this? We learn from this story in Galatians 2. What do we learn from the story in Acts 15? Well, people are people. And relationships aren't always easy, are they? And we don't always agree on every issue. And sometimes there's friction relationally to the degree that Paul and Barnabas split. So what do we learn from this? I mean, one thing I wrote, even the most faithful among us are prone to interpersonal conflicts and mistakes. Every, every one of us is prone to our own selfishness, our own pride, our own personal things, and friction and discord can happen relationally in God's family. The, the beauty of the story is that both men continued in ministry. They moved forward in mission, even though it meant parting ways for a season. I don't have time to unpack this, but they did the work. Paul and Barnabas ultimately did the work around this friction between John Mark because Paul wrote this really brief letter called Philemon. And if you want to go back and read Philemon later, Paul speaks very well of John Mark. Here in Acts 15, he's like, he ain't going with me, man. Barnabas is like, no, 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 no. Like, let's give him another chance. Like, everybody makes mistakes, bro. Like, what do you mean he's not coming? Paul digs his, no. He left us, he deserted us. He's not coming with me, man. I'm telling you right now, he's not coming with me, man. Like, it was a sharp disagreement. You feeling that with me? Like, it was broken. And they, we, we don't know how or when or what happened, but we know that humility and grace and forgiveness came in, and Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they got that relationship restored, and we know it because of the letter to Philemon. If you don't know that story, go read it later. It is unrealistic to think that all of us in this room are going to agree on every matter all the time. So like couples who are preparing themselves to be wed, let me speak to our church family. The goal among us is an agreement on every issue. The goal is connection. The goal is honor. The goal is respect. The goal is oneness. Amen? Are y'all with me right now? Here's, here's what the scripture even gives us an opportunity to really think about in Romans 14. 
I did a sermon in February of 2021 called Faithful Disagreement. Do you remember what's going on in February of 2021? All of you in this room had a lot of thoughts and opinions about a whole lot of stuff going on in the world, right? And there wasn't, a, there wasn't agreement around that among us. If you don't remember that, as a pastor, I'll tell you, I remember it quite well. <laughs> to the degree that I preached a one-off sermon called Faithful Disagreement, because what was happening in the church in Rome is the church was getting divided over what they were eating and what days were sacred. And Paul gives freedom and permission for people to have a differing personal conviction about non-essential matters. And he wanted to cultivate an environment of honor and care and listening because he knows that people are people. And when we're talking about non-essential things, we stay together, we don't divide over it. And so if you're interested in that message, you can find it on our our website. Again, faithful disagreement. Now, with that being said, let me also say this. I'm not talking right now about essential core Christian theology and doctrine. The conversation that we're having is about unity among brothers and sisters as we follow in the way of Jesus. When we're talking about essential core Christian theology and doctrine, on those matters, agreement is essential. For example, if we disagree about the virgin birth, we just sang the song. I believe in the virgin birth, right? Like we just sang the song. If we disagree about the uniqueness of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man, sent by the Father, conceived of the Holy Spirit on a mission from the Godhead to redeem, restore, and save humanity. If we disagree on that, if we disagree about his death atonement for us in our place, if we disagree about the resurrection, if we disagree about the Trinity, that we worship of God of monotheism, not poly. Theism, if we disagree that the word of God is inspired as an authoritative for life and faith, if we disagree about those things, we are disagreeing about Christianity. What we are talking about here is unity within Christianity and the family of God, the brothers and sisters of God. And in this space and in this conversation, the goal isn't always agreement on secondary and tertiary matters. The goal is honor, the goal is respect, the goal is oneness, and we must pursue it, and we must fight for it, amen? I know, I know this to be true. Not every one of you agrees on what I think about eschatology. And some of you are like, what's eschatology? Eschaton, the end times, the study of what is going to happen, what is going to unfold when Jesus returns. And there's a lot of people who love Jesus and are a lot smarter than me. They don't agree. I have a perspective on it. I think about it. I've read. I want to be thoughtful about it. Not all of you probably agree with where I land on it. That's okay. That's okay. We, we just dedicated our children to the Lord. 
We didn't baptize them. We're going to wait until they make a public profession of their own faith by their, by their own freedom. But other churches might feel differently about that, and so they practice infant baptism. I, we have a perspective on that, but we don't have to divide on that, but a lot of times we do. And I could list a lot of other things that is, honestly, it's so sad and, and frustrating that so many churches divide over non-essential matters, but it happens all the time. But I'm just saying to you, like, I know that not every one of us agrees on every nuance of theology on every matter. Not every one of us agrees carte blanche with one another about all kinds of things. Like, I mean, if you're a Chiefs fan in the room, God bless you. I mean, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was a, that was a, knock, on, that was a knock on you, Drew. And we're not going to agree on that. But I still love you. We can unite in Jesus, but I think you're crazy. <laughs> right? Tongue-in-cheek. I'm tongue-in-cheek, right? Um, not everyone agrees with everything. Like, right? Right? And that's okay. It's okay. But what's not okay is where personal convictions, personal preferences, personal wants divide the body of Christ and our witness that Jesus is Lord and that God loves the, the, the world, that witness is damaged. That's not okay. Like, it is not okay for a church to get sideways about the color of the carpet. And I got a personal story about that. <laughs> Happens. Most of you, some of you, most of you, I don't know, in this room probably have some story that you know of a church or a ministry or something, and the whole thing got fractured because the staff people of the ministry couldn't figure out a way to resolve a relational issue. And so Paul and Barnabas, sharp disagreement, parted ways. They did the work. They did the hard relational work toward restoration and a church is split in half and people are wounded and some people leave the church never to return because brothers and sisters can't, won't do the hard work of humility and forgiveness and relational restoration. And it breaks my heart and it grieves the heart of God. Our call is unity, period, exclamation point. So let's make every effort, let's make every effort in the spirit of unity to pursue it and fight for it. Yeah, 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 you with me? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe step on some toes here. I'm gonna maybe step on some toes here. So I said this in the first service. Don't email me, email Lindsay, okay? <laughs> If we, you, I, us, if we are not pursuing and fighting for unity in our relationships as we follow Jesus together, 
if we are not pursuing unity, if we are not fighting for unity in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships with our neighbors, in the house of God, especially here. If we are not fighting for unity in our relationships as we follow Jesus, we are simply not in submission to the way of Jesus and the authority of his word. Pride, pride, fights to be right no matter what. Even if the cost is disunity. Put that into your marriage relationship. Put that into your sibling relationship. Put that into your relationship with your parents. Put that into the relationship with people in your life group. Put that into relationship with people in front of you or behind you. Listen, I know that relationships isn't, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, God has called us to be alive together in Christ, Ephesians chapter two. But we're people. We're people. And people are people. So we have to do the work to be unified. And we have to pursue it and we have to fight for it. I mean, I get all that. But pride, pride fractures. And it fights to be right no matter what. And the cost of it is disunity. Humility fights for connection even if I have to let go of my rights or my way or my preferences. And the reward on on humility is unity. Here's the recap. Here's a recap of our verse of the day. They were not all the same. Unity is found in diversity. They did not agree on every matter all the time. The goal isn't agreement. It can't be. It's unrealistic. On the essentials, yes. On the non-essentials, charity, listening, care, honor, process, oneness. I want to close our time with this With this in our minds, I want to close with the first three verses of Ephesians 4 and the last three or four verses of Ephesians 4. And Paul uh, is not going to be shy about speaking to the church in Ephesus specifically, but now to us about this call to unity in our lives. So let's look at this together. If you want to open that up with me, Ephesians Uh, Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Paul has taken time in the first three chapters of of Ephesians to say, this is who you are in Jesus. This is your new identity in Jesus. This is what you've been given. This is how you are empowered. This is how you are enabled. This is how you have been given grace and mercy and love. You you are rooted. I mean, it's identity, 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 identity. And then in chapter 4, he moves chapter 4, 5, and 6 to, and now because of this truth of your new identity, this is how we are empowered to walk. So I think about the beginning of Ephesians 4, the very first thing that Paul is going to say to the church about what it's like to walk in the way of Jesus, he speaks about unity. It connects to John 17 when Jesus is praying literally before the Garden of Gethsemane for unity. Again, the question, do you think unity is important in the way of Jesus? So here's what Paul says, the beginning of Ephesians 4. And let let me say this before I read these verses. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts you by his word, it is not unto condemnation. 
The conviction of Holy Spirit is his kindness leading us to change, to transformation. So as, as I work through these verses with you, if you feel conviction, oh my gosh, I've blown it in this area, or I blew it with this person, receive the kindness of God, the kind conviction of the Holy Spirit leading you to a place of conviction to change and to restoration, not to condemnation and self-abasement. You with me? So let's allow the word of God to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path so that our eyes can see and our hearts can change and our lives can be transformed. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, I urge you, Paul says, I urge the church, I urge you, I plead with you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. Who in this room can be completely humble? Show of hands. We need Jesus to us so that we can be conduits of Jesus through us. But here's the call. You have been given a new identity. You have been given the power, the love, and the grace, and the mercy of God. And now here is the way you have been. And this is, this is the enablement. This is the empowerment. We don't have to come up with like, oh, i got to be completely. There's no way I can be completely humble. The only way is to receive more of Jesus. It gets harder than this, actually. The next one, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Be completely patient. Be completely patient. Who can do that on I-25? <laughs> Who can do that on I-70 in the wintertime? None of you. None of us. But by grace and power and love, we can be enabled to live this way. And Paul is urging us be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why would Paul say that? Because he knows that people are people, and sometimes we have to bear with one another in love. We have to do the work around relational restoration and togetherness and oneness. We must pursue, which is why he says, verse 3, make every effort, not a little effort, not a once-a-week effort, not like try a couple times, and if it doesn't work out, then just like, well, I'm, 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 I'm done with this person. I'm done with it. I'm not trying anymore. No, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, which we have been enabled by, through the bond of peace. We can't do these things. We receive these things so that we can be conduits of these Heavenly, majestic, beautiful realities of togetherness and oneness. God's power and love and grace empowers us to be like him in unity. Jesus prays for unity in John 17, and then he goes to the cross the very next day. Jesus pays a very high price to give us unity and peace. Our unity and the bond of peace that we have in the family of God is a precious gift that we have, that God has given us. And divisions and schisms among God's people sabotages, sabotages the gift that God has given to us. Therefore, it is so essential that we make every effort to live in the spirit of unity and to pursue the bond of peace. So let's bookend this. End of the chapter. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Boy, that's a challenging command of Scripture. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. By the, by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the love of God, by, by, by the Spirit of God, you have been empowered to get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. You know, sometimes rage isn't like ugly and loud. I think sometimes we just think rage is like, <sighs> but sometimes rage is mass through like kindness, but I'm manipulating you to get you to do what I want you to do. Rage is about control. It's not about unity, it's about control. And Paul's like, get rid of the bitterness. Don't hold on to the bitterness. Don't hold on to the anger. Get rid of the rage. Get rid of the brawling and slander along with every other form of malice. Instead, here's here's the identity. Here's the call. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ he forgave you. Instead of using words to tear down, our new identity is to use our words to build up. Oftentimes we think that Ephesians 4.29, especially parents like me, will use that to be like, oh, don't use swear words. You know, it's like, ah, 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 don't, you know, it's actually not the context of the passage. The context of the passage is unity, togetherness, oneness. So what Paul's actually saying when he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, what he's actually saying contextually is to use your words to build people up in unity, not to tear people down to disunity. That's the unwholesome talk that Paul is speaking about in Ephesians chapter four. And when God's people use their words to disunity, Paul says this in verse 30, it grieves the heart of God. Anything disconnected from grace and love, honor, unity, grieves the heart of God. That's what Paul's talking about. You look at verse 31 and 32, and you hold those together, and the contrast is striking. I mean, the difference between, like, verse 31 and verse 32, it's like the old way and then the new identity in the way of heaven. All the words in verse 31 are intended to express hostility that destroy human relationships. But the body of Christ consists of people who have been given a new identity, who have been given empowerment to put away things like bitterness and anger and rage and disunity. Our identities, our identities as sons and daughters of God, as followers of Jesus, we are builders. We are not destroyers. We are builders to community. We are not destroyers of community. Kindness is, our, kindness is our call. Gentleness is our call. Compassion is our call. Forgiveness is our call. Our call is 
Unity, not disunity. Our call is unity in diversity. Last two points for us to consider. Now, worship team, you guys can come up. I'm going to wrap this up here. This does not mean that we avoid hard conversations. This does not mean that we don't have dignity to confront someone about how we were treated. But we must engage these hard conversations as we're bearing with each other. We must engage them with the main thing in focus. We are united in Jesus. We are in the same family. Our call is unity. We got to do some work so that we're not experiencing a schism in God's family. We are united as Christ followers to agree to have honor and respect about our differences, and we must be able to listen to one another and discuss topics that we defer on with honor and respect. Unity in relationships requires truckloads of humility and forgiveness. I I don't know how a, a broken relationship among God's followers can get restored without humility and forgiveness. So if you want unity, that there's a relationship in your life, in this church family, in your family, in your marriage, in with whatever it is, if you want unity, ask God for a manifestation of his humility and forgiveness so that you can be a conduit of that to someone else. And so in humility... In grace, I can say to someone, I did this, and it was wrong of me, and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Grace empowers us to own what is ours and ask for forgiveness. And if you want humility, or if you want unity, and if you are the person that has been hurt, harmed, wounded, it is going to require truckloads of humility and forgiveness to say, I will forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. And in that moment, it doesn't mean that you trust, right? We know that's how relationships work. It could take time. It could take years for trust to be rebuilt. There can be forgiveness and restoration and boundaries around that relationship as we do hard work toward restoration. I'm just saying to you, I believe that if you want to get rid of all the things that is creating all this fracture in these relationships, you need the empowerment of Jesus in you. Receive from him. Receive his grace. Receive his love. Receive his power to you so that you can step into humility and forgiveness with the person that you need restoration from. I don't know how long it took Paul and John Mark, but it took a little while. And we had to bear with each other and go on the journey with each other. What I know and believe is that God is calling us to unity because we're in the same family. And we're not all the same. And we're not all going to agree about everything. But we agree that Jesus is the Lord. And we agree that God loves us and God loves people. Amen? 
Uh, would you stand together? I want us to read a famous verse in the Psalms about unity. We're going to read this together, and then we got a, another couple songs to enjoy worshiping together in unity together as God's family this morning. So, Psalm 133.1. Would you read this with me, and then we'll sing together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. Let's worship together. 